0: And all you have to do is get down on your hands and knees, or we will send in Rambo and Sylvester Stallone.
1: Wage trying to upgrade. only one want is everybody get paid. And Medicaid catch rules, everything around me. Motherfucking social democracy. We smoke and weed legally. My chick and me. We cruise the street down to the beach. In the heat, on the concrete. We are free to vote for Bernie. Damn Sanders. He got his bachelor's, city planners. Things that matter. Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders. Bernie. Bernie. Damn Sanders. Bernie. Damn Sanders. throw your damn hands. Of a Bernie. Damn Sanders. throw
2: your damn hands. Bernie damn Sanders, throw your damn hands up! Bernie damn Sanders,
1: throw your damn hands up! Bernie damn Sanders, political damn panther, executive branch manners, and chief of the commander. So if you gotta ask somebody, Bernie got the answer. Study for his bachelor, the senator damn master. So if you wanna build up fast, Bernie, do it faster. got are to vote to cast off your ass. Reason told you vote Democrat, elections fast, it better bureaucrats, patriot acts, straight to the trash, Republicrats don't know how to act. Bernie Sanders.
0: I think the message that I'd like to convey to people is that if you go out in your cities and in your towns and you talk common sense to the people, you can win. That was
2: Bernie Dam Sanders by Wilfred Cyrus, which you can find on YouTube, at Wilfred Cyrus. At the end of the program, we'll hear a song called Feel the Burn by Brooke Bartlett, which you can find on Brooke Bartlett's YouTube page. Greetings and welcome back to Bernie 2016. This is an independent podcast established to follow and comment on Bernie Sanders' candidacy for President of the United States. This podcast is completely independent of any candidate, party, or PAC. You can find out more about Bernie 2016 at Bernie-2016.com. You can send me a message at BernieUS2016 at gmail.com or follow on Twitter at BernieUS2016. If you're a Flipboard user, you can follow my magazine in Flipboard called Bernie for President where I'm up to 6,100 articles on Bernie and his run. You can check out the link to it on Bernie-2016.com. And on there you will also find a couple links to uh, my t-shirt designs that I have put up on Cafe Press and on Teespring. So I've got a couple different designs available. Take a look and if you're interested, go ahead and pick one up. So getting us started today, we'll talk about Bernie's Um, visit this week to Cleveland, and the speech that he gave there, this article is from dailycause.com. Bernie makes a stop in Cleveland. Democratic presidential candidate Bernie Sanders rallied against the political and economic establishment he contends has failed the middle class during a campaign appearance on Monday. Thousands of people packed into the Wolstein Center at Cleveland State University to cheer on the U.S. senator from Vermont as he called for a quote, political revolution. Although Sanders has focused on his political message on the economy, he began his hour-long-plus speech talking about the terrorist attacks in Paris last week, saying what is needed to defeat the Islamic State is an international coalition involving not only Western nations, but also Iran and other countries in the Middle East. He also criticized Republicans for trying to score political points, including a pointed critique at those who have called for a halt to allowing Syrian refugees into the country. He said Americans should not give in to Islamophobia and turn their backs on those in need. But instead of me telling you what he said, let's listen to the opening uh, of Bernie's speech in Cleveland.
0: As Americans, we are appalled. We are disgusted by the attack against the people of Paris by the terrorist organization ISIS. And I know that I speak for everyone here everyone in our country when we send our condolences uh, to the families who lost loved ones in that barbaric attack, and our prayers go out for speedy recoveries for the many hundreds who were injured. In my view, now is the time for developing a serious and effective strategy to destroy ISIS, Now is not the time for cheap political talk or trying to take political advantage of this difficult moment. Now is the time, as President Obama is trying to do, to unite the world in an organized campaign against ISIS by bringing together all of the countries who have common interest in defeating international terrorism, even countries that we have disagreements with. So I think what the President correctly is trying to do is bring together our European allies, France, Germany, the United Kingdom, and others, along with Russia, and along with the Muslim countries who are today face-to-face with ISIS. What we need is an international coalition, including Iran and Saudi Arabia, Jordan and Kuwait and Turkey, Now, putting together this coalition is not going to be easy, given the many hostilities and long seated disagreements that some of these countries face. But that is what President Obama and Secretary Kerry are trying to do, and I support their efforts. But let me also say let me also say that now is not the time for demagoguery and fear-mongering. If you think about it for a moment, you understand that what terrorism is about is trying to instill terror and fear into the hearts of people. And we will not let that happen. As Americans, as Americans, we will not be terrorized. We will not live in fear. And I do have to tell you that I am disturbed by some of what I am hearing from my Republican colleagues. And I will just say this. During these difficult times, as Americans, we will not succumb to racism. We will not allow ourselves to be divided and succumb to Islamophobia. And when hundreds of thousands of people have lost everything, have nothing left but the shirts on their backs, we will not turn our backs on the refugees from Syria and Afghanistan. We will do what we do best, and that is be Americans fighting racism, fighting xenophobia, and fighting fear. And perhaps most importantly, we will learn the lessons of history. Yesterday, the chairman of the Republican National Committee stated, and I quote, never before have I seen an American president, meaning President Obama, project such weakness on the global stage, end of quote. Well, as many of you will remember, back in 2002, we had a president, President Bush, You remember President Bush. We had a president, and he was very, very tough, but not very smart. He and Dick Cheney and the whole lot of them, they were tough. And they said we should invade Iraq. We should do it virtually alone. And the result was 6,700 brave men and women from our country dead. Hundreds of thousands of our best young people coming home with injuries. Physical and emotional, many, many hundreds of thousands of Iraqis dead and wounded, huge instability in the entire region, and we are paying the price today for that instability and that chaos. So I say, I say to my Republican colleagues, yeah, we have got to be tough, but not stupid. Yes, we need to create a worldwide coalition that will defeat ISIS. But no, the United States of America must not be involved in perpetual warfare in the Middle East. Let me say something else. There are those, including many Republicans, some in the media, who think that because of this horrific attack, that the only thing that we should focus on is defeating ISIS. And what I say is, yes, we will lead the world in defeating ISIS. But at the same time, we will rebuild the disappearing middle class of this country.
2: And that was the opening of the speech that Bernie gave in Cleveland this past Monday. This article describes the environment there a little bit more. A largely working-class crowd of 6,000 people got a bellyful and earful of Bernie Sanders' populist rhetoric as he preached his political revolution on Monday night and they seemingly loved every minute and point after point after point made by the Democratic presidential candidate as he thundered on for 80 minutes at a rally at Cleveland State University's half full Wolstein Center. The U.S. senator from Vermont, a socialist who who ties the excesses and indulgences of the wealthy in Wall Street to the economic plight of the average working man and woman touched on nearly all things foreign and domestic. And Bernie did lead off his speech with a little bit more discussion than we heard um, at the Democrat, the Democratic um, debate that was held recently. A little more discussion about the terrorist attacks in Paris. And here's a couple of stories that are related to those attacks. This first one from com by Nicholas Henin. It is called, I was held hostage by ISIS. They fear our unity more than our airstrikes. As a proud Frenchman, I am distressed as anyone about the events in Paris, but I am not shocked or incredulous. I know Islamic State. I spent 10 months as an ISIS hostage, and I know for sure that our pain, our grief, our hopes, our lives do not touch them. Theirs is a world apart. Most people only know them from their propaganda material, but I have seen behind that. In my time as their captive, I met perhaps a dozen of them, including Mohammed Emwazi. Jihadi John was one of my jailers. He nicknamed me Baldy. Even now, I sometimes chat with them on social media and can tell you that much of what you think of them results from their brand of marketing and public relations. They present themselves to the public as superheroes, but away from the camera, are a bit pathetic in many ways. Street kids drunk on ideology and power. In France, we have a saying, stupid and evil. I found them more stupid than evil. That is not to underestimate the murderous potential of stupidity. All of those beheaded last year were my cellmates, and my jailers would play childish games with us, mental torture, Saying one day that we would be released, and then two weeks later, observing blithely, Tomorrow we will kill one of you. The first couple of times we believed them, but after that we came to realize that for the most part, they were bullshitters having fun with us. They would play mock executions. Once they used chloroform with me, another time it was be- a beheading scene. A bunch of French speaking jihadis were shouting, We're going to cut your head off and put it on your arse and upload it to YouTube. They had a sword from an antique shop. They were laughing and I played the game by screaming, but they just wanted fun. As soon as they left, I turned to another of the French hostages and just laughed. It was so ridiculous. It struck me forcefully how technologically connected they are. They follow the news obsessively, but everything they see goes through their own filter. They are totally indoctrinated, clinging to all manner of conspiracy theories, never acknowledging the contradictions. Everything convinces them that they are on the right path, and specifically that there is a kind of apocalyptic process underway that will lead to a confrontation between an army of Muslims from all over the world and others, the Crusaders, the Romans. They see everything as moving us down that road, consequently. Everything is a blessing from Allah. With their news and social media interest, they will be noting everything that follows their murderous assault on Paris. And my guess is that right now, the chant among them will be, quote, we are winning. They will be heartened by every sign of overreaction, of division, of fear, of racism, of xenophobia. They will be drawn to any examples of ugliness on social media. Central to their worldview is a belief that communities cannot live together with Muslims, and every day their antenna will be tuned towards finding supporting evidence. The pictures from Germany of people welcoming migrants will have been particularly troubling to them. Cohesion, tolerance, it is not what they want to see. Why France? For many reasons perhaps, but I think they identified my country as a weak link in Europe as a place where divisions could be sown easily. That's why, when I am asked how we should respond, I say that we must act responsibly. And yet, more bombs will be our response. I am no apologist for ISIS, how could I be? But everything I know tells me this is a mistake. The bombardment will be huge, a symbol of righteous anger. Within 48 hours of the atrocity, fighter planes conducted their most spectacular munitions raid yet in Syria, dropping more than 20 bombs on Raqqa, an ISIS stronghold. Revenge was perhaps inevitable, but what's needed is deliberation. My fear is that this reaction will make a bad situation worse. While we are trying to destroy ISIS, what of the 500,000 civilians still living and trapped in Raqqa? What of their safety? What of the very real prospects that by failing to think this through, we turn many of them into extremists? The priority must be to protect these people, not to take more bombs to Syria. We need no fly zones, zones closed to Russians, the regime, the coalition. The Syrian people need security or they themselves will turn into groups such as ISIS. And this story goes on for... A bit longer but uh, I thought these were some very important and strong words from somebody who had a unfortunate inside look at Isis and this next story came out today this also is from The Guardian and this story let's see if I see An author here is by Ed Pilkington and Ewan McCaskill. Four former U.S. Air Force Service members with more than 20 years of experience between them operating military drones have written an open letter to Barack Obama warning that the program of targeted killings by unmanned aircraft has become a major driving force for ISIS and other terrorist groups. The group of servicemen have issued an impassioned plea to the Obama administration, calling for a rethink of a military tactic that they say has, quote, fueled the feelings of hatred that ignited terrorism and groups like ISIS, while also serving as a fundamental recruitment tool similar to Guantanamo Bay. In particular, they argue the killing of innocent civilians in drone airstrikes has acted as one of the most, quote, devastating driving forces for terrorism and destabilization around the world the letter addressed to obama defense secretary ashton carter and cia chief john brennan links the signatories anxieties directly to last friday's terror attacks in paris they imply that the abuse of the drone program is casually connected sorry causally is causally connected to the outrages. Quote, We cannot sit silently by and witness tragedies like the attacks in Paris, knowing the devastating effects the drone program has overseas and at home, they wrote. The joint statement from the group who have experience of operating drones over Afghanistan, Iraq, and other conflict zones represents a public outcry from what is understood to be the largest collection of drone whistleblowers in the history of the program. Three of the letter writers were sensor operators who controlled the powerful visual equipment on U.S. Predator drones that guide Hellfire missiles to their targets. The four are represented legally by Jessalyn Raddick, Director of National Security and Human Rights at the nonprofit Expose Facts. The number of lethal airstrikes has ballooned under Obama's watch. The Pentagon has plans further to increase the number of daily drone flights by 50% by 2019. From its inception, the drone program has been troubled by reports of mistaken targeting. Classified government documents leaked to The Intercept revealed that up to 90% of the people killed in drone strikes may be unintended. With a disparity glossed over, by the recording of unknown victims as enemies killed in action. In one of the most widely publicized errors, the U.S. government was accused by one of its own officials of making an, quote, outrageous mistake in October 2011 when it killed the U.S. citizen, Abdulrahim al-Awlaki, the 16-year-old son of Anwar al-Awlaki, an al-Qaeda leader who was also a U.S. citizen, and was killed by CIA drone two weeks previously. One of the four drone operators who signed the letter to Obama, Brandon Bryant, was part of the team that tracked Anwar al-Awlaki by drone for 10 months shortly before he was killed. In an interview with The Guardian, Bryant said that he was not opposed to drone technology per se, which he saw as having beneficial uses. Quote, we just understand that in its current form, the program is being abused. There is no transparency and we need to be open to other solutions. So some strong words from operators of the drones who have taken part in um, many of the drone missions in Afghanistan and in Iraq and who have come to see the program largely as a negative impact and a, a builder of propaganda for ISIS when those drones kill quote-unquote unintended targets, then we're definitely creating families, friends, loved ones, um, we're creating hatred in those people towards us for what we do. So shifting gears to some other items in the news recently regarding Sanders. Uh, this from gov. Sanders questions FDA nominee with deep pharma ties. At a Senate confirmation hearing today, Senator Bernie Senator Bernie Sanders said he opposes the nomination of Dr. Robert Califf to be Commissioner of the Food and Drug Administration because of doubts that he would act to lower skyrocketing drug prices. Quote, At the end of the day, people are dying and not buying the food they need because they have to pay outrageous prices for medicine, Sanders said. We've been extraordinarily weak at taking on the pharmaceutical industry that has been ripping off the American people. I believe we need a commissioner who is going to stand up to the pharmaceutical industry and protect American consumers. You are not that person. Last year, one in five Americans, 35 million people, were unable to afford to fill their prescriptions, Prices for some prescription drugs soared 1,000% or more in recent years. Since 2002, total spending on medicine in the United States went up by more than 90%. Califf has has deeper ties to the pharmaceutical industry than any FDA commissioner in recent history. He ran a multi-million dollar clinical research center at Duke University that received more than 60% of its funding from the pharmaceutical and medical device industry. And his financial disclosure form last year listed seven drug companies and a device maker that paid him for consulting and six others, including Merck, Novartis, and Eli Lilly, which supported his university salary. In 2014, the pharmaceutical industry spent $250 million on lobbying and campaign contributions and employed some 1,400 lobbyists. Do you you think that type of expenditure has any impact on the fact that we pay the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs? Sanders asked Califf. The top three pharmaceutical companies made combined $45 billion in profits last year and spent more on sales and marketing than they did on research and development. Sanders has introduced comprehensive legislation that would lower soaring drug prices. And here's a interesting story it comes from a different perspective than most when we look at Bernie Sanders and his campaign and candidacy and who is supporting him and why. This article is from the christianwatershed.com. Uh the title is The Pro-Life Case for Bernie Sanders or The One in Which I Anger Everyone disclaimer, this is not an endorsement for Bernie Sanders. It is merely an attempt to show there are multiple ways to approach a pro-life stance without banning abortion. The American tradition of trying to pick our next president well over a year before the election is in full swing. Still months away from a primary, candidates are already coming out of the woodwork and true to form, appealing to the most extreme in their respective groups Still, the one candidate who has my attention is Bernie Sanders. No other candidate really grabs my attention, makes me think, or, dare I say it, excites me and gives me hope. While I'm not a democratic socialist, I do think that what he offers is vastly closer to my own economic beliefs than any other candidate. His stance on war and diplomacy is a breath of fresh air. While he's not middle class, he's also not a millionaire or billionaire, meaning he's closer to the struggles of the middle class than anyone out there. Essentially, for all intents and purposes, Sanders is kind of my dream candidate, except for one thing. He's very pro-choice, while I'm very pro-life. And when it comes to matters of life, it's not exactly a small issue. While I'm not a one-issue voter... Voting on life is more important than taxes or even income inequality. And we can't hide behind the excuse that since Roe v. Wade will most likely never be overturned, it doesn't matter who we elect. The president can hand out executive orders concerning abortion. A pro-life president can make abortion restrictive, while a pro-choice president can loosen restrictions. So it does matter. How, then, can someone who is pro-life such as myself—rabidly so, I might add—support Bernie Sanders without any sense of cognitive dissonance? Not so long ago, I wrote about how, because I'm pro-life, I can't be a conservative. Before that, about three years ago, I even said that Republicans aren't actually pro-life. The reason I've made such arguments is that I find it absolutely absurd— to make the claim to be pro-life, but then do nothing to support life outside of the womb. After all, overturning Roe v. Wade is a pipe dream, and even if it occurred, even if we could wave a magic wand and overturn that case and make abortion illegal, abortions would continue. The reason they would continue is because the conditions that make abortion so prevalent in the U.S. would still exist. Hence my support for Bernie Sanders. I see his policies as a way to actually reduce the number of abortions. While the abortion rate in the U.S. has declined on and off since 2000, it's actually increased for poor women. According to the same study, nearly 69% of abortions in the U.S. come from economically disadvantaged women. This means women who can't afford to take time off work typically have substandard health care have little to no paid vacation, work 40-plus hours a week, and live paycheck to paycheck or overdraft to overdraft just to pay for themselves. Adding a child to the mix is a near impossibility. In terms of actual poverty, another study shows that 42% of women who obtain abortions live at or below the poverty line. According to the same study, 33% of women who had abortions lacked health insurance with another 31% using Medicaid. Only 30% of the women who had an abortion had health insurance. Compare such, such statistics to Western Europe, who has one of the lowest abortion rates in the world. Of course, Western Europe is known for its quote, socialist approach to health care, namely that anyone gets it for free. <clears throat> that means a pregnant woman, even one in poverty, gets paid time off work, typically gets discounted or free daycare, gets free pre- and postnatal health care, gets family leave, and the list goes on. Many of the issues in the United States that prevent a woman from having a child are eradicated in Western Europe. While one could argue that Western Europe also has restrictive abortion laws, most allow for abortions in economic circumstances, making such a point moot. Rather, what we can look at is that the infant mortality rate is drastically better than the United States. In keeping with a very common theme, the study shows that wealthy mothers in the U.S. have an infant mortality that matches and is in some cases better than any other nation. But economically disadvantaged mothers have an infant mortality rate on par with Qatar and Russia. The whole point in all of this is to show a direct correlation between what's available to economically disadvantaged women and who chooses to get an abortion. It's no accident that nearly 70% of abortions come from women who believe they can't afford to have a child or to have another child. Even for women who choose to have a child, being pregnant in the United States is a risky proposition. If you're poor, if you lack health care, then it's a near impossibility. Even women with health care often can't take time off work or if they do, they rarely get paid. If the goal is to truly protect life, then I am obligated to vote for the candidate who will best protect life. Among all the candidates running, Bernie Sanders is the only one who is offering a single-payer health care system that would help economically disadvantaged mothers acquire the needed treatment to make it through pregnancy. Mandatory 12 weeks paid family leave for anyone, specifically for mothers who would need that time to recover from giving birth. An increase in wages in addition to help in paying for daycare, which would mean a woman wouldn't need to give up eating in order to support a child. Free college tuition at public colleges and universities, meaning a woman could achieve a higher education without worrying about paying for a child and school. While his foreign policy, especially with war and the military-industrial complex, isn't ideal, he at least supports diplomacy and only wants military action as a last resort. Of all the candidates out there, Sanders is the only one who has policies that could actually reduce the number of abortions in the U.S. This isn't a numbers game either. These are actually these are actual human lives we're discussing. My choice is to follow pro-life Republicans who toss out the idea to attract voters, but ultimately do little to reduce abortions. Or to vote for a man who will actually reduce the number of abortions in America by making it easier on women to be pregnant. At this point, I want to save human lives. If that means I have to pay more in taxes, then so be it my tax dollars result in reducing abortions then it's a worthy sacrifice to be pro-life means one must be wholly for life such a position is incompatible with empty rhetoric and ideas that would ultimately harm life not help it as such i must look to the candidate that i feel will protect human lives the best and that candidate is bernie sanders So the second Democratic debate was held this past weekend, and this was held the day after the Paris terrorist attacks. And during that debate, Bernie Sanders was asked whether he felt the greatest threat to the United States was still climate change, which he had claimed in the first debate when asked what the greatest threat out there was and Bernie Sanders said absolutely in fact climate change is directly related to the growth of terrorism and if we do not get our act together and listen to what scientists say you're going to see countries all over the world this is what the CIA says They're going to be struggling over limited amounts of water, limited amounts of land to grow their crops, and you're going to see all kinds of international conflict. So, after Sanders said that in the last debate, uh, there's been a litany of responses to that from the right wing saying how stupid and ridiculous that notion is. Um, There was an article in Oximity TV maybe that's Oximity with a Y. It is Oximity O-X-I-M-I-T-Y dot com and this article is a repost of an article by Media Matters, and it is called Ignoring the Facts. Conservative media called Bernie Sanders crazy for linking climate change to terrorism. Mark Stein said Sanders' comments about climate change are insane and show a level of, quote, delusion and denial during the November 16 edition of Fox Business, Varney and Company, Mark Stein mocked Sanders' statements on climate change, stating, Al Baghdadi would be sawing Bar- Bernie Sanders' head off, and he'll be saying, as his neck is being sliced, quote, If only we had an emissions trading scheme. Stein continued by calling, calling Sanders' position insane and claiming it shows a level of delusion. And denial. The Wall Street Journal's Peggy Noonan said Sanders sounded, quote, slightly daffy, like someone who doesn't understand what the real subject is. Fox's Alan West said Sanders, quote, should be completely discounted because of his climate change comments. And Fox's Todd Starn said, quote, icebergs aren't blowing people up, sir. Ben Shapiro called Sanders insane. PJ Media equates the link between climate change and terrorism to, quote, a piece of magic. But when you take a look at the actual studies and the actual evidence on this particular topic, you find that uh, Sanders was actually right on target. Time reports that, quote, many academics and national security experts agree with Sanders. Following the CBS debate, Time reported that although Sanders' comments, quote, attracted ridicule across the political spectrum, many academics and national security experts agree that climate change contributes to an uncertain world where terrorism can thrive. Major research studies also backed up Sanders' assessment. A study in the National Academy of Sciences Journal says climate change likely worsened Syrian drought, which helped cause the Civil War. A study from scientists at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and Columbia University published in the Scientific Journal Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, detailed the likely role climate change played in catalyzing civil unrest in Syria. The authors determined that climate change significantly increased the likelihood of a severe drought, like the one that afflicted the region from 2007 to 2010, which was, quote, the worst drought in the instrumental record, causing widespread crop failure and mass migration of farming families to urban centers. The study found that human-induced climate change made a drought of such severity and persistence 2 to 3 times more likely than by natural variability alone and concluded that quote human influences on the climate system are implicated in the current Syrian conflict from the study's abstract. There is evidence that the 2007-2010 to 2010 drought contributed to the conflict in Syria. It was the worst drought in the instrumental record, causing widespread crop failure and mass migration of farming families to urban centers. Century-long observed trends in precipitation, temperature, and sea level pressure, supported by climate model results, strongly suggest that anthropogenic forcing has increased the probability of severe and persistent droughts in this region and made the occurrence of a three-year drought as severe as that of 2007-2010 to 2010 two to three times more likely than by natural variability alone. We conclude that human influences on the climate system are implicated in the current Syrian conflict. And the current Syrian conflict is a major contributor to the rise of ISIS. It gave the terrorist organization a base of support and it gave them a conflict to inject themselves into and to become a part of and to occupy land that had been... um, largely removed from control of the central government in Syria and adjacent to a significant amount of land in Iraq where ISIS has a a significant amount of control. So that conflict in Syria was a significant contributor to the rise in recent success and power Of ISIS. In addition to that study, a story in the New York Times by Coral Davenport sheds some more light. The Pentagon on Monday released a report asserting decisively that climate change poses an immediate threat to national security with increased risks from terrorism, infectious disease, global poverty, and food shortages. It also predicts rising demand for military disaster responses as extreme weather creates more global humanitarian crises. The report lays out a roadmap to show how the military will adapt to rising sea levels, more violent storms, and widespread droughts. The Defense Department will begin by integrating plans for climate change risks across all of its operations, from war games and strategic military planning situations to rethinking of the movement of supplies. The report is the latest in a series of studies highlighting the national security risks of climate change. But the Pentagon's characterization of it as a present-day threat demanding immediate action represents a significant shift for the military, which has in the past focused on climate change as a future risk. So there is a significant amount of Support for Bernie Sanders point that he made during the debate that climate change is a major threat to the United States, um, for a number of reasons, including its impact on disrupting societies around the world and causing or adding to contributing to, um, Additional strife, which can in many ways lead to support for organizations that are counter to the public interest. And one last story from ibtimes.com Bernie Sanders really wants cable companies to let you buy your own set top. Box. This is by Christopher Zara. The average American household shells out $232 a year for the privilege of renting a set-top box from a cable company, and Bernie Sanders, for one, is tired of it. The Vermont senator and 2016 Democratic presidential hopeful was one of eight U.S. senators who signed a letter Monday urging the FCC to act swiftly on a plan that would, theoretically at least, unshackle consumers from those unsightly boxes provided by cable companies the letter spearheaded by senator edward markey democrat massachusetts called on fcc chairman tom wheeler to address the lack of competition and innovation in the set-top box market which the senators assert has been a virtual standstill whereas interfaces on smartphones tablets and desktop computers are constantly evolving The remote control and channel guides that permeate interfaces on linear television often stifle content discovery and leave many consumers throwing up their hands in frustration. But rather than shop elsewhere for set-top boxes, almost all pay TV customers continue to lease them directly from their providers, presumably because viable alternatives are scarce. Quote, we believe the time has arrived for the FCC to enable millions of Americans to access an enormous amount of content in innovative, new, and less costly ways, the senators wrote. Last year, Congress passed legislation aimed in part at opening up the set-top box market by establishing a working group tasked with recommending new technology that would allow consumers to more easily integrate boxes purchased on the retail market. So I think that the letter and the statements from the senators here are a positive step. Um, But my recommendation to all of you out there who are able is uh, ditch the cable and get some reasonably good Internet access. And you can get much of what you could get via that cable box from other sources. So that will wrap up. This episode of Bernie 2016. You can find out more about Bernie 2016. At bernie 2016com You can send me a message. At BernieUS2016. At gmail.com. Or follow on Twitter. At BernieUS2016. And taking you out. This episode is Feel the Burn by Brooke Bartlett. Thanks for
1: listening. got We can manage